Uh, good. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Rich. Good to see you. Um, if I've not met you before, uh, it'd be great to, to meet you at some point. My name's Rich. I'm over at the South site normally, um, but very, very glad to be here uh, this morning and speaking to you. We're going to be carrying on our, our sermon series called Wish You Were Here. And it doesn't predominantly mean wish you were here at Lordswood, uh, though as a Southsider, I can reveal, I obviously, I do wish I was here more often. Um, but not predominantly wish you were here ge- sort of in terms of your geography, but wish you were here in terms of a place you want to get to in your Christian life. Wish you were here, wish you had these characteristics, whether it's love or knowledge or wisdom, places you'd love to be in your Christian life, but where you feel like you're perhaps just a little bit halfway there. Wish you were here. And I was thinking about this uh, sermon series when I was reading a very, very profound book the other day. Uh, I know I look like the guy who kind of would read profound books. You're right, I do. And uh, the profound book was this, The Ugly Duckling, uh, which I was reading to our three-month-old who's there. Who um, She's a high flyer. She loved it. She thought the narrative was very interesting. She's written a short review, uh, which I can show you later if you want. But why was I thinking about this when I was reading The Ugly Duckling? Uh, you know the story, don't you, of this, this duckling, uh, duckling who is born and comes out of the egg and realizes that she looks different to all these lovely, pretty, little, yellow, fluffy, gorgeous ducklings. And she feels very different, and she feels like she doesn't fit in, and she's just aware of all the ways which she's not what she could be and what she wants to be. And the other ducklings mock her because they've kind of got it all together, and the other farmyard animals mock her, and the horse mocks her, and the cow mocks her, and she's feeling pretty low. And then she looks up one day and she sees these incredible creatures flying overhead. These creatures that she would just give anything to be like. These elegant, soaring swans that are just wow. And she catches a glimpse of herself in the lake and sees she's never going to be like that. But then winter comes and she kind of hibernates or whatever they do. I'm not an expert. And uh, in the spring, she catches another look at herself in the lake. And suddenly she sees something she recognizes and she sees oh my goodness, I'm a swan. I'm a swan. And the other ducklings kind of, suddenly they're the ugly ducklings and she is the swan, this elegant soaring swan and she soars off with all the other swans and that's the end of the story and Grace absolutely loved it. Now why is that sort of related to wish you were here? I guess if you're anything like me, you are aware that in your Christian life you can feel sometimes like a bit of an ugly duckling. Okay, you look at these characteristics that you could get to in your life, this knowledge, this wisdom, this love, this compassion, things you see in the Bible and you want to take hold of, but you can sort of feel like, oh, I'm just not very good at that, and that's in a way kind of true, but I think we've got two options there. One is we can mope around going, I'm an ugly duckling, oh, I'm just not as loving as Jesus, oh, I just wish, oh, God, and beat ourselves up, and we could do a sermon series all about how rubbish we are, and that would be really fun, um, but luckily we're not going to do that, because I think the other option is we could look up, and we could see the beautiful, elegant, soaring swan, Jesus, him in his perfection, him in his perfect love, perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, and we could say, do you know what, I'm not an ugly duckling, I'm just a swan in progress. I'm a swan in the making. And that's true of us if we're Christians. God has changed us and he's making us soar. He doesn't just want to leave us as saved Christians, but wants to make us soaring Christians. And that's what this sermon series is all about, how we can grow to be the swans that we were born to be. And so today we're going to think about just one characteristic of the soaring swan lifestyle. And I'll tell you what it is in a moment, but I'm going to make a bold claim. Um, I, I help lead uh, the youth work here at Church Central. Uh, yes, good, very loud. louder. Come on, I even prepped you for that. I help lead the youth work here at Church Central. 
There we go. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, youth workers are known for sort of making big outlandish claims that they can't back up. So I'm going to make a big outlandish claim that I I hope I can back up, which is that this characteristic we're going to talk about is something that not only I think everybody in this room wants, but I think everybody on this planet wants. Okay. Sometimes in sermons you talk about things that kind of are only kind of Christians would be into. So like how to be more disciplined in your petitionary prayer life. And you think, if I told my mates that, they probably wouldn't you know, be dead keen. But this is not one of those today. This is something that wherever you're at in your kind of exploration of God and things like that, this is for you today. I think everybody on this planet wants this character trait. And I think if we got it, and if people in our planet got it and really took hold of what God has for us in this area, I think our planet would change. I don't think you'd ever see riots in Birmingham city centre because people would just not feel like they need to go and get stuff and grab stuff. I think you wouldn't see poverty in our world, because people would just be generous. I don't think you'd see people leave their marriages for whatever reason, because you'd see people being loyal and sticking together. I think this is a world-changing character trait that Jesus wants to speak to us about this morning. And here it is. Are you ready? This life-changing thing. Contentment. Contentment. Now, I don't know what you think when I said that. You're thinking there's going to be something a little bit more dramatic there. I can tell that uh, the drum roll stopped with a silence. Contentment. Contentment. Did you think I was going to say something more exciting? But I think that contentment can change the world. And uh, I don't know what your reaction is instantly when you think about contentment. There's this inner sense of of steady, quiet, open-handed stability in life that you're not waiting to arrive at a place of peace, but you, you've, you've got it. Contentment. I don't know how you feel, but I think that's a really attractive idea, right? I think to be in a place where you are not blown about by everything that goes on, but you're just content. Yeah, I think that's an amazingly attractive thing. You hear the story of, um, of the girl at school who says, do you know what, mummy? I don't want anything for Christmas. I just, I just give it away because I'm content. And if you're like me, you sort of go, oh, that's a bit sickly, isn't it? But actually, it's a very appealing place to get to in your life. I'd love to be there. Or you hear the story of the, the husband uh, with the, the disabled wife who, who doesn't kind of flee or leg it after a quick fix or get really ratty or beat himself up all the time about all the things that could be happening in his life, but just sticks with his wife and serves her and loves her. And it's amazing. And only content people can do that sort of thing. And it's this really attractive ideal. Uh, another way that you know it's an attractive ideal is if you've ever been into one of those shops, they're quite hard to describe, so bear with me, the sort of shop that's halfway down Harborn High Street, and it sells Kath Kitston-like teapot covers, and has vases, and has witty coasters, and things, that, you know the sort of one, it smells a bit too nice, uh, that sort of thing, where you go if you've forgotten your mum's birthday present. And in those sorts of shops, those gift shop type places, there's always a section called the, or I call it, the wooden signs with clever quotes on section. Yeah, I don't think they call it that, but that's what I call it. And I love going there. And so you see what kind of ways of life people think are attractive or appealing. So uh, my mum has one in her bathroom, which is like the secret to a happy home, live lots, love lots, laugh lots, or something like that. That's great. Or, you know, the secret to a contented life is to... Uh, smile every day and be thankful or something like that. So I tell you what you never see on the wooden signs with quotes on section. You never see the secret to a happy home mercilessly pursue more every day and never be happy with what you've got at the moment. 
you don't see that. Because people know, whether they're Christians or not, people know that discontentment is, a, is an ugly thing. And contentment, on the other hand, is a beautifully attractive thing. To not be grabby in life, or if only this, or if only that, and to be tutting and sighing all the time, but to just be content. That's an attractive thing. But as attractive as it is, I wonder if you, uh, like me, have spotted a bit of a problem with contentment. It's attractive, but it's also really, 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 really elusive. Contentment. There are times in my life when I'm, I think, yeah, I've, uh, you know, I'm content. I'm soaring like a content swan now in my Christian life. And then others, just suddenly someone says something about me and, oh, oh and I'm just gone again. It's attractive, but it's really elusive. It's hard to get hold of. It's like uh, when you're on your summer holiday, uh, maybe like one pictured uh, with the, uh, the intro there, and you're, you're there and you pick up a, a handful of warm sand. You can feel it warm in your hand, but as you try and carry it, it just starts to slip through your fingers. And I think contentment can be a bit like that. You grab it, and then suddenly it just goes. Or, or maybe when you see a kid blow a bubble in the garden, and they're just this glee at this amazing thing, this sphere of joy before them and they run after it and then they go and grab it and it just disappears and so they grab another one it just disappears and I think in my life contentment can be a bit like that it's an attractive thing but as soon as I feel like it's in reach it just goes you know and I find myself regularly sighing regularly disappointed regularly a bit jealous if I'm honest of other people it's attractive but it's really elusive So what are we to do then if we want to take hold of contentment? Um, I think we have a few options this morning. Um, First option is we get our phones out and we go on Instagram and we scroll Instagram for clever quotes about contentment or or we read Cosmopolitan magazine and see what they tell us about contentment or we, um, you know, listen to a TED talk about contentment and we could find out lots from that, I'm sure. That's one option. The other option is that we go to God the God who made us, the God who dreamt up you and who knows how you are inside and, how, and knows what will bring you deep and lasting, real peace in your life. And thankfully, we're going to go for that option. And you can tell me about Cosmopolitan magazine another time. But we're going to go to God and see what he says. And we're going to go to Philippians. So if you have a Bible or a phone with it on, just turn there. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. Um, but just before, just sort of as you're turning, it will come up on the screen as well, so don't worry if you've not got it with you. Um, I want to give you some context. Now, whenever anyone says I'm going to give you some context in a sermon, I just feel like headbutting them because it's the most boring thing ever. But context, if it helps us grab what God is saying through a passage, is really important, and it's actually a huge blessing. So bear with me because I give you 30 seconds of context, okay? And the context I want to give you for Philippians is this, what is the soundtrack to Philippians? Okay, now I don't mean what's the kind of Harry Potter soaring and dipping strings music. I don't mean that sort of soundtrack. I mean when Paul, who is writing this letter to the Philippians, people in Philippi, when he's writing it, what can he hear in his ears? Okay, now is it the uh, lapping of the shore of uh, the Hawaiian beach as he sips from his uh, coconut milk? Or is it the sound of his 10 children and his 20 grandchildren playing gleefully in the corner? Yeah, is that what he can hear when he writes this letter about contentment? No, this is what he can hear. Just a clanking of his prison chain as he writes this letter. And so every word that we're about to read, that's the soundtrack. He's in a hole in the ground. He's hungrier than probably even the, the poorest or most hungry of us have ever been. 
And that's when he writes this letter. And you've got to know that, because otherwise we'll think he's just some pie-in-the-sky bloke saying, oh, just be happy. No, no, no. He's in the dark hole, literally. <laughs> and he writes this letter. And at chapter 4, verse 11, it will come up on the screen. Let me just read to you what he says. He says, I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So here is Paul. Paul is in chains, he's in the dark, and he gives you good news this morning, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. He says that contentment is possible to get. Because did you see verse 11 and verse 12? I have learned to be content. So he's got there. So that's amazing news, isn't it, this morning? Because wherever you're at in your life, however much inner turmoil you're in, however many years it's been since you felt a sense of peace and happiness in life, Paul says that it's possible to get there. Not in heaven only, okay? Not kind of only for super spiritual people, but for a normal bloke like Paul. And he says that he found contentment. He did say that it took him a while. You see, he learned it, verse 11. He learned it. Verse 12, I've learned the secret of being content. So that's encouraging to you, isn't it, as well? Because it took him a while, right? So if you're feeling like rich, you have no idea how long away from contentment I am. And if you could see, you would not even try. (laughs) Well, it took Paul a while, okay? There were loads of situations where the apostle Paul was not content, but he learned it, wish you were here, swan in the making, and God did it in Paul, and God can do it in you. He really can, the Bible says, bring you to a place of contentment. That's amazing. That's really brilliant news for you. You're not bound to sigh and tut for the rest of your days. You're not bound to always feel like it's elusive. You can find contentment, Paul says. And so if he has found it, I think it would be really good to listen in and get a little bit more out of these verses and see how we can find it, right? How we can find true contentment. And basically what we're going to do for the rest of the time is we're going to see from Paul two things. One massive, massive no-no if you're looking for contentment. So something that you have got to absolutely never, ever believe or do. Big no-no. And on the other side, we're going to see a massive yes, yes, which isn't really a phrase, uh, a massive thing that we should do, the secret to contentment. We're going to see a big no-no and the secret to contentment. And here's the no-no. You can see it in verse 11 and verse 12. And you've got to hear this. And this might be difficult for you to hear, but you have to hear this, and I have to hear this. Paul says, true contentment is never, ever circumstance-dependent. Never. And you say, well, actually, my circumstances are pretty good. I feel pretty content. Paul says, that's not where you find contentment. You are vulnerable to be disappointed if you've found your inner peace in stuff that's going on in your life. See what he says? He says, I know what it is to be in need. And yet he has found a contentment, a peace, an inner stability in his life that is real and valid and tangible even in chains. It's never circumstance dependent. 
And what Paul is doing here, I don't know if he knew that this is what he was doing, but what Paul is doing is he's taking a big lie of Western 21st century culture and he's grabbing it and he's headbutting it in the teeth. Okay, that's what he's doing. I don't know if that was his plan, but that's what he's doing. He's taking a big lie of our culture and he's absolutely annihilating it here. And the lie of our culture is this, that if you are discontent in your current circumstance, the solution is to change your circumstance. Okay, that's what our culture says. It's the wisdom of if your marriage is not really kind of that fun anymore, just, just have an affair. Just, ch- just change life and make it something that will make you content. And then if your affair's not working out, I guess kind of either go back or have, you know, if you're not content, just change your circumstance, right? And Paul here is saying, no, 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 no. I know a contentment. I've got a secret to tell you. I know a contentment that is not based on your circumstances. Now, a couple of caveats before we um, tuck into this a little bit more. Um, a couple of caveats. So you might be thinking, uh, as I say it, first caveat, God can absolutely change your circumstances, okay? And does, okay? Hallelujah. That's happened in my life hundreds of times that I've said, Lord, I'd love this to be different. And he's answered a prayer and things have changed. I've been healed from sickness. I've had um, relationships change and grow better or worse or whatever. God can change your circumstance. Absolutely. We have a page on Facebook, the stories of breakthrough. And that is full of people saying, I asked God to change my circumstance. He changed my circumstance. And everyone doesn't go, oh, naughty. Everyone goes, that's amazing. That's brilliant. That is really, really good when God changes your circumstance. Okay. And another little caveat I need to make is sometimes in your life, you'll be in a circumstance that you actually need to change. So if you're in an abusive relationship, okay, is the application of this sermon to just sort of be content in it? No, 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 no. You need to make a change. You need to be brave enough to tell someone about that. Or if you're in a school where you're being bullied, okay, is it that you just buckle in till year 11? No, you, you might need to talk to your parents about making a change there. Sometimes God can change circumstances. Sometimes we need to change our circumstances. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where you find your contentment, where you find that inner sense of peace. And Paul would say, he would scream at us that if, if we think that going after that thing or changing my life in this way or if I could just tweak this or if only I had this will make us content. He just says, that's not the sort of contentment I know. And guys, if we insist upon God changing our circumstance, and I know that some of you here will have circumstances that you, you say, Rich, you don't have a clue, mate, what's going on in my life. But if we insist upon our circumstance changing before we can be content in God, That's not true contentment. God has better for us than that. He has something more resilient for us than that. He has something more indestructible for us than that, than just to be a victim of what's going on around us, as big as those things can be. True contentment is never circumstance dependent. Now, here's the thing, the irony, and before we move on to our big yes, yes, the irony is, does does changing your circumstance even really work to bring you happiness. You know, ask any married person, did all their inner angst disappear at the moment that they said I do? Um, maybe for about seven minutes, you know, and then things kind of, you know. Does changing your circumstance really even change everything? Um, don't take my word for it. We're going to uh, ask this guy um, who's got a very beautiful face. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, Johnny Wilkinson, exactly. <laughs> sir Johnny, indeed. Is he a sir? He should be a sir. I agree. 
Sir Johnny, who is uh, lovely eyes. Look at that. Um, Sir Johnny Wilkinson. Um, and here is a man, a hero of mine, um, who spoke when he was uh, young. He's, since he's been an adult, he spoke of when he was young, having a sense of, of unrest and a sense of, oh, what's life about? And I guess everybody has that, right? What, what, oh, when do I find what life's going to be? And for him, he decided early on that the way that he was going to take hold of the bubble of contentment was he was going to succeed at rugby and if possible, win the World Cup for England. And he took hold of that as his goal, as the circumstance that's going to bring me contentment when he was about seven, okay? And so from seven years old into eight years old into nine years old, he's going to the rugby club, he's taking his dad, he's doing literally thousands of drop goals to practice them and he's hardly got little legs that work but he's practicing and then he gets into secondary school and he gets into the rugby team and he gets into uh, university he goes to the rugby team and he goes through Newcastle and he gets into the club team and he starts on the wing that's not where he wants to play he moves to the center that's not where he wants to play he goes to fly half that is where he wants to play and then he gets called up to England and it's the year before the World Cup and he goes through the Six Nations and he does pretty well and he's at fly half and suddenly he sees this change that I was after it's in reach it's in reach I'm going to get there this is fantastic and he goes through the Six Nations they do well gets into the World Cup squad go through the group stages we do pretty well get through the knockout rounds do pretty well get to the final get to two seconds before full time and it's a draw. It's a draw. And me and my dad are in Malvern watching it on the rugby club big screen going, I can't believe it's a draw. What happens if it's a draw? Extra time. It goes to extra time. It's still going on. It gets to extra time. 20 seconds left. Since the age of six or seven, he's been pursuing this dream. The ball comes back to him to do this drop goal from his left foot that he always wanted to do. The ball comes to him on his right foot. And you think, what's going to happen? And he gets it and he drops it and he scuffs it horribly. But it just gets over. And England win the World Cup and me and my dad start crying and leaping around and it's all very exciting. And Johnny Wilkinson just literally starts doing this around the pitch and jumping on people and doing this with Will Greenwood. And it's the most happy moment you've ever seen. And as an Englishman, I all, I'm getting shivers thinking about it. It's an amazing moment, right? If you're not into rugby, sorry. It's just brilliant, okay? And in that moment, I remember watching him and thinking, oh, if I could just take hold of that, then I'd be happy. If I could achieve something like that, wow, incredible. And I see him walking around the pitch with his medal on and he's clapping above his head. And I think at that moment, that is what life's about, okay? And this is from his autobiography, this quote I'm about to read out. This is what he said was going through his mind as he did his lap of honor. As we walked around the field in our celebratory lap of honor, I could feel my dream beginning to slip away. The brightness was already fading and with each second that passed so was my happiness my fairy tale ending was turning out to be an altogether different story I couldn't believe that all that effort was losing its worth so soon I just achieved my greatest ambition and it felt empty is circumstance change going to bring you that sense of peace I mean, you can't get a bigger thing than that happening in your life. And he says when he got there, empty. Empty. All that longing, all that expectation, all that inner waiting to be content. And he couldn't grab the bubble, even on the World Cup final lap of honor. So, of course, God can change your circumstance. Of course, you should change your circumstance at times. But Paul would plead with you this morning, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, that if you're looking for contentment in something in your life, it's not going to come. 
And so, guys, before we move on to the, the yes, yes, I just need to plead with you, and I need to hear this as well, that we need to reject strongly any thought process or, or temptation in our life or any form of Christianity that tells us that the way for the poor person to get contentment is to get rich. Or for the sick person to be content is to be healed. Or for the celibate person, how to be content is to have sex. Or for the, popular, the unpopular person, how to be content is to get more popular. Those are not bad things to happen in your life, that's fine. But will they bring you contentment? Paul says no. So, if that's not where we find contentment, okay, before we finish, what I want to do is see where do we find contentment? Where can we grab the bubble? Paul says he's found it. He says he's learned it. We want to soar like swans with him. And he says, verse 13, that the route to contentment is through him or in him who gives me strength. Through him. And uh, he's referring to Jesus there. We talk about him quite a lot at Church Central. He's talking, to Je- talking about Jesus. Now that is like the punchline that you saw coming all morning, isn't it? That, oh, it's about Jesus, Rich, thank you, thank you so much, write that down. It's about Jesus, okay, and it is the punchline that you saw coming to the bad joke that is my sermon. But guys, what I want to do is, before we finish, I want to just dwell on why Jesus can really bring you contentment. And I want to just dwell on it. And first I want to dwell on it with those of you who would not call yourself Christians, okay? You're kind of looking in, you're dipping your toe, you're not quite sure why you're here, but you kind of resonate and relate to this idea of an inner striving for a place of arrival and stability in life. And what I want to do is just with you, I want to just dwell on Jesus with you for a couple of seconds. And I want to suggest to you from my personal experience, I became a a Christian when I was 19 years old, having been an atheist before that, and then kind of from seven and younger, you're not really anything, are you? You, do, you know, uh, so whatever I was. But from 19 on, I've been a Christian, and I want to share with you from my personal experience and from many in our church and from what the Bible teaches, that you will, I just want to humbly suggest, you will always be in a p- place of unrest in your life until you come to the one you were made to be with, which is Jesus. You will always be in a place of, if only, until you come to Jesus. Because the Bible says that life, life, the substance of life, life not just with a small L, but in capital letters, life is about knowing Jesus. It's not about stuff, it's not about achievement, all of that's fine. But really, it's about knowing Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that you will always be unrested in yourself until you come to know him and so why don't you just keep looking around no one's going to rush you no one's going to kind of make you do anything you don't want to do but I just want to plead with you stick around and keep looking into him not religion him Jesus knowing him and that's a place Paul says that you can find real contentment please stick around please keep asking your questions um, but before we finish I think that that most of us here will probably be more like me and you'll be a Christian and you will be able to write me a good essay on why Jesus is the answer to contentment because you know the answers. You've heard these sermons before and you, you just know this stuff so well that you could do a better job than me here. And yet you struggle to take hold of the experience of contentment, right? It's still elusive in your life. You know it's from Jesus. You know the stuff, but you just find yourself tutting and sighing and discontent so much. And what I want to do is just ask you right now, not to beat yourself up, 
not to panic. (laughs) I want you to just sit here and let God minister to you. And I'm going to tell you about someone who is really good news for you. And his name's Jesus. I'm just going to tell you about him. Because how you get contentment as a Christian who struggles with contentment is this. What you have to do is you have to do some weighing up. And you have to fight to believe again that the don't haves of your circumstance, the things that you don't have, the things you really, really want but you don't have, as big as they are, are utterly outweighed by the things you do have in the gospel. And that is how you find contentment. Okay? Now, that's not me saying that these things that you don't have, that you really, really want and you think you might never get, or that you had and you don't have anymore, that they are small things. They are not small things. They are huge things. But what I'm saying is that Jesus is so good that when you weigh those up against what you have been given in Jesus, you will find an inner contentment that can be yours even in chains, whatever the circumstance. Contentment comes when you fight to believe again that the don't-haves are utterly outweighed by the do-haves that you have in Jesus. And so what do you do if you're in prison with Paul or in uh, betrayal with Joseph in the Bible or in mental anguish with Jesus or in uh, grief with Naomi or waiting with Abraham or isolation with Daniel or in you're in hospital or lonely or bored or being bullied or you feel ugly? What you do is in your circumstance, you fight to see that what you've been given in Jesus far outweighs what you don't have. And let me just tell you about him, because in Jesus, if you're a Christian, this is who you have today. Not just his stuff, not just access to his big mansion, but you have Jesus, you have him, okay? You have Jesus, this warm, amazing, beautiful God-man who stepped down from heaven into this planet with all its brokenness because he saw you and he loves you. And I don't know what you don't have, but you have him. You have him today. You have Jesus. I don't know what you don't have, but you have Christ, this this son of God, who if you wound the clock back to all the way before eternity, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And what you have is God the Father just looking at Jesus, looking at the Son of God. And forever, a mind and a heart as big and as profound as God's was utterly satisfied in the Son of God. He's that good forever. God was looking at him going, you're just fantastic. I love you. I love you. I love you. And you have been given him. And so I don't know what you don't have, but you have Jesus. You have this Son of God. Disappointed Christian who feels just a bit stuck in life. I don't know what you don't have, but you have Jesus. You have this lovely one who who saw the sinful woman who was being thrown in the mud by the religious, who was being spat on, and who just looked up at Jesus, is he going to condemn me? And he looks her in the eye and he doesn't condemn her because he's lovely. <laughs> and you have him. You have him today. I don't know what you don't have, but you have this strong one. This one who took a cross on his back and with back torn to shreds and knees buckling under the weight of it, persevered because he had you in his mind. And he walked up the hill and he died the death that we deserved and he rose from the dead because he wanted you and he fought for you. And I don't know what you don't have, but you have him this morning. And that's where you get contentment. In Jesus, you have this passionate one who who saw death at the the graveside of Lazarus, his friend, and he wept because his heart was full of this incredible compassion. He's not some stoic religious leader. He's a man with a heart who bled because he's so grieved over Lazarus. And not only was he kind and weeping, 
But he saw that and he was so enraged at what death had done to our world that he raged at it and he snorted at it and he t- it took him to the cross. And there he thought of you and you have him this morning. I don't know what you don't have, but you have him. You have Jesus, this one who lost everything to gain you, who gave everything to bless you, who would rather take nails on his hands than spend another second of his life without you. And you have him. You have him. Whatever you are longing for, okay? Whatever you would love to change in your circumstance. God, if he withholds that from you but gives you Jesus, has been more than kind to you. And I don't say that glibly or lightly because I know there are circumstances here that you really feel like you really rightly need to change. But God has given you Jesus. And in him, that's not a small gift. That's, he's given you everything in Jesus. And so if you're a Christian who's just bored, you know, you're just done with the Christian, it's just so dull. <laughs> or you're just stuck, or you've got grief or deep-seated loss or illness that's going on longer than you thought, or, or grief or whatever it is. I want to finish by saying you might not have all the sunbeams that you want, all the individual rays of blessing from heaven, all the individual strands of light that you would love to have. You might not have those, but in Jesus, you have the sun himself. You might not have all the the streams of the river that you would love to have, but you have the reservoir, the spring, the fountain. You might not have the Cadbury's dairy milk that I could give you, You might not have the caramel that you long for, but you've got the keys to Cadbury's world. You've got the the place where all blessing comes from. You have him. (laughs) Cadbury's world. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't know what you don't have, but if he's given you Jesus, then you can be content. And if you're like me and you struggle to believe that or remember that, how do we soar? How do we really take hold of it in our life? I think all it is is that we fight to believe that again and it might be minute by minute for a season of life. It might be day by day. It might be week by week when you come here. But you fight to believe that that's true. That he's given me Jesus so if I've not got this or that that's really, really painful but I can be content even in chains. And so when we forget not as the the psalmist says we forget not all his benefits that's how we get content. Not in circumstance, oh, what a flimsy way to live. <laughs> we can be indestructibly content if we fight to believe again that we've got Jesus and that he's better than anything.